Welcome to the Three Questions Podcast, where we take questions from our church family and do our best to answer them from a biblical worldview. We have the privilege to serve the Lord's Church here locally at Southern Hills Baptist Church. Doug Melton is our lead pastor. Randy Whittall is our pastor of missions and evangelism. My name is Daniel Snow, and I get to be pastor to young adults. Um, if this podcast is helpful to you, please know that you can subscribe to it. You can share it with someone else, anything that would be helpful. And, and that's what we want. We want it to be helpful. We want it to give God glory. And if you do want to submit questions, I want to say this up front. There's three ways to do that. You can either email them in to, to this email address, three questions podcast at my, at myshbc.com. And that's with the number three, three questions podcast at myshbc.com. You can go to the website, myshbc.com slash contact, or you can text 505-258-2076. And today, we are glad to get to be back together, and uh, guys, we're going to just get started. Doug, I'm going to start with you, and it's, a, it's definitely a big question, and it's a super common question. How can we know that a baby goes to heaven when it dies? What a significant question, and <clears throat> you know, guys, all the months we've gotten to do this now, our folks are asking such wonderful questions. Yeah. Um, and 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 some of the questions are are biblical, scriptural, theological, uh, and this one falls into that category. But also, there is a very personal nature mm-hmm. to that question, and uh, and so I want us to really uh, uh, prayerfully go before a, a something like this, um, because really, Daniel and Randy, we're not just dealing with. When we hear infants or babies, we think of a a young child, but we can think about miscarriages. Mm-hmm. Um, we can think about when there has been the heartbreaking decision of an abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think about a child who lacks the uh, moral discernment, uh, the capability of decision-making, uh, the capability of deliberating, of thinking through something. Yeah. We, yeah. We think this this definitely applies there as well, and so uh, let's let's think through this. Uh, this is also a question where if we think, okay, well, I, just give me one specific verse mm. that I, I we, we're going to look at verses, but we're also going to consider it from the full counsel of God's word, from the character of God that is revealed in Scripture. Rather than trying to say, well, here's this one verse says it all. Yeah. Um, so let's let's think through that. We have lots of evidence in Scripture to support what I believe, and I believe the three of us around the table believe is that yes, infants, uh, babies, babies miscarried, babies aborted, uh, children, or even adults who lack the moral discernment, the ability to deliberate, that they do, yes, they do go to heaven. They, yeah. they are with the Lord. Uh, and, and so here's, here's, let's start here. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, as the children of Israel getting ready to enter into the promised land, you see Moses is, has come to the understanding he will not be allowed to enter in 
because of his sin. And so he tells them, Joshua, the son of Nun, he's the one who will attend to you. And also, Moses says to them, I want you to know that those children of yours who you thought were going to be taken captive, well, because they did not know good or evil, they will be allowed to enter into the promised land. And so we have there an indication that those who did not know good or evil, they will be allowed to enter. And so we have Deuteronomy chapter 1. We go to 2 Samuel, where Samuel or where David is dealing with the death of his child. Mm-hmm. And we remember that in that one particular sentence that he says, where after the death of the child, David says, I shall, uh, he shall not come to me, but I, sh- I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Yeah. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. As we read that, David is encouraged by that. Mm-hmm. Well, if David was simply saying, well, I'm going to die someday too. That's not encouraging. That's, that's not the most encouraging yeah. thing. Well, my baby died, and I'm going to die too someday. I think there's something beyond that where David has a sense of where that baby's going I'm going to go there too. We're going to be reunited, and it's good. Mm -hmm. And so whether David had a full understanding of resurrection and all that, he had an understanding that where that baby's going, I'm going to be reunited with him. And boy, we we do get a sense from the Scripture, David knew the Lord, Mm -hmm. the man after God's own heart. And so I really, I think David was, there was an encouragement. There was hope in his heart. I'll be there with that baby. Romans chapter 1. So there's Old Testament passages. In Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul, again, we've been in Romans here these last three weeks in our, in our morning services. Romans is such a beautiful, systematic understanding of the gospel And in order to understand the gospel, we have to start by the fact that we have sinned. Right. And Romans chapter 1 starts there. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul is making the argument that those who have suppressed the truth, Mm -hmm. the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against those who have suppressed the truth. Right. Because God's attributes, God's power has been seen and known Okay, not any of that applies to a child miscarried, a child who dies in the womb, a child who has lacked, or an adult who lacks the moral understanding. They have not suppressed the truth. Um, uh, There there is not an unrighteousness that they have practiced or, or done against the Lord. And so... There are several, and, and we could keep going. I mean, right. there there's several right. places in Scripture um, when when the the Pharisees asked Jesus the question, "So are you saying we're sinners?" And Jesus says to them, "If you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. Yeah, but because you say we see, your sin remains." Mm-hmm. They were claiming a knowledge. We have a knowledge of God. We we don't believe you. But we have this knowledge, and he's saying, well, because you're saying you have knowledge, your sin remains. Um, and, and so That's good. Uh, here's, here's where I would land, because I, I know we've got to move on to the next question. There's one other thing I want us to mention. In Genesis 18, it's that incredible story where Sodom and Gomorrah is getting ready to be 
destroyed. And Abraham says, Lord, if there were 50 righteous people, would you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And and Abraham ends that passage by saying, will not the judge of the earth do what is right? Mm-hmm. And he will. Yeah. He will. In Exodus 34, whenever God shows himself, he says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, kind. He is the judge of the earth, and he will do what is right. We can count on it. We can. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And, and when he says there in Romans 1 that those who can see and do suppress are without excuse, that seems to infer that there must be an excuse for those who can't. That's right. Uh, Boy, uh, you know, Paul was saying from creation, conscience, and Christ mm-hmm. were without excuse. Well, none of those, a child, a baby, is not able to perceive God's attributes through creation. Mm-hmm. There is not a conscious level or conscience, and there's no understanding of Christ, and so yeah. it's good. Well, and even, in fact, later when Jesus has the children around him, you know, and he says, let the children come unto me, and he even looks at the Pharisees and says, except you come like one of these, nobody enters the kingdom of heaven. So you've got that idea that it's not just, not only that that children are secured in the Lord because of their innocence, unless we're made as innocent as one of those child through through Christ's sacrifice, we would never be able to come to the Lord to the Lord either. You know, I mean we all have to and ultimately come to the Lord as one of these children who has that innocence uh that of of not having suppressed truth. You bet. And and Randy, there was an Isaiah passage you mentioned. Yes. Speak to that. That uh, the prophecy of the coming Messiah when it's when he talks about there, that a child will be born, and he even says and and he makes reference and says and before the child is able to discern good from evil, uh, he will, you know, be eating curds and things like that. But but even there, the prophet, you know, God gave Isaiah that prophecy to to give us that idea that there is a point where a child is unable to discern good from evil, and apparently. My take on it is not held accountable because of that, because he doesn't have that sermon. And whether that's because of age, or as you said, maybe they're because of just that, men, you know, some sort of mental incapacity to discern good from evil. That's good. So I, w- I would end Daniel with two challenges to folks. One would be to think through. I don't want ever parents to ever say, "Well, so probably around eight or ten. That's when we'll start teaching them," because the, then they'll, right. they'll start. In, right. Okay. From the womb, mm-hmm. the scripture says in Psalm 58, from the womb, we go astray. Mm-hmm. And so from the womb, start teaching that child. It, it is amazing. We always talk about their little minds are sponges. Mm-hmm. We don't always know what they're getting. That's right. right. But oftentimes we're surprised that they're getting a whole lot more than what <laughs> we think that they're yeah. getting. And so yeah. don't try to figure out, well, around four or five, we need to start taking them to church. No, That's right. from, the, from the womb. And then second of all, I just would want to, we don't always know who all is going to get to hear this. I just would want to say to someone who says, well, I'm considering abortion. And, and so if, that, if I do abort, then I know that baby will go to heaven Please choose life. Yeah, that's right. Yep. 
choose life. That baby belongs to the Lord ultimately. And so allow the Lord to be in control of that. Absolutely. That's really good. Very good. Thanks, Doug. Okay, Randy, your question is, how do we put off the old self and put on the new self slash the full armor of God when these obviously aren't physical items? That's a that's a great question, and and uh, obviously both of those references come a lot out of Ephesians. In Ephesians, you know, we were told to put off the old man, put on the new man, mm-hmm. put on uh, the the armor of God. All of those are the same the same verb in Greek. It's even the same verb, the put off, that was used when uh, it talked about people were laying their coats at the feet of Saul in order to stone mm. uh, Stephen. You know, so uh, it's the concept is not physical right but really if you think about it the the actions involved in it are are the same uh, and one of the and, and part of that is because it is something that we're all of those verbs in Ephesians 4 and 6 there are are in a uh, an imperative format which means it's something that we are told to do it's not a passive thing that mm-hmm. well if i if I just sit in church long enough, or if I study my Bible long enough, this I, this will somehow or another morph. I'll morph into a mature Christian and 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 well armored Christian. That doesn't happen. Yeah, it has. A, it's an intentional acting upon God's word. And so when we're told to put off and put on, I really do believe those are things that we are we have an active part in. Uh, now, bo- they're also in a, in a middle voice, which in Greek means the actor, the, the noun, has a part in the action, but also benefits from the action. Okay. And so in that, you know, it means we're doing it not for others, but I mean, we're doing it for the Lord, but we are ultimately the, the benefactor of putting off the old man and putting on the, the new man or putting on the armor of God. It's really so good. Very real quickly, two or three things. I would say one, while they're not physical, the way you do it is the same. Think of the way you change out of your work clothes to put on your pajamas in the evening before you, you go to bed. Mm-hmm. One is the action of putting off happens before the action of putting on. You don't put your pajamas on over your work <laughs> clothes. You know? It's not and, suggested anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's very bad. If you, you know, your, your, your sheets get nasty and dirty if you do that. Don't don't try it. No. But uh, but that same idea happens that there is a what what Paul was saying here is there is a change that happens to us when we grow in Christ. It's not it's not our old clothes are transformed or mended or or redyed or ironed that wrinkles out of. It is literally it is a putting mm. off mm-hmm. of an of of our old worldview, our old mindset, our old thoughts about right and wrong and good and evil, and taking on mm. a new a new way of seeing life, a new way of, of living our lives. Now, remember, the transformational act of salvation has already happened. Paul's not talking about this to earn salvation. That that part of the old has passed away, all things become new. That regeneration has already happened. Mm-hmm. This is a maturing in who we are. And so you might even think of it a little bit like the the metamorphosis of a butterfly from a cocoon. You know, you were a slug of right. some kind, and now you're going to fix them to emerge as something 
as something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's the principle here. And with the armor of God, it's also just as intentional. You know, I think Paul was very intentional when he was saying, this is something that we strive for. Mm. Uh, you know, we we put this on because we know it's going to be a, to our benefit as Christians. And quite honestly, it's, it's essential yeah. for our growth as Christians. So I don't know if that completely answers it, but but the idea basically is, we're not told to just remodel our old life. Mm-hmm. We're told to set it aside, cast it aside, because the old Randy died when when my life was given to Christ mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit indwelt me. And now I'm I'm intended, I'm reborn to walk as a different yeah. person than I was before. No, that's really good. I mean, that is because a lot of times uh, an, an erroneous view would be, well, I've got this bad behavior. I just need to stop doing that. That's correct. Jesus said, if you just stop, but you don't put on, mm-hmm. there's not anything that fills the place, you're going to revert back and be even be worse. seven times worse. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It is not just a putting off. It is a putting on the new. Yeah. It's a principle of replacement. That's good. That's so good. Okay. Um, so, and then the question that I have is, is annihilationism, or some people would call it destructionism, a viable option when it comes to the Bible's teachings on hell? And so just to kind of define what that term even means, uh, annihilationism, it's the idea that could it be that hell is eventually going to result in who those who are there just ceasing to exist after a certain amount of of punishment in hell just eventually being completely destroyed or ceasing to exist or being annihilated. Okay, so is that a viable option? And I mean, I'll be honest, like this is one of those that that if if I could um just get the Bible to say what I would like for it to say, I would prefer this. I would prefer to to believe this. It's much it's still not. It's still a horrible thought, but but it, it at least you know it, it makes me feel a little bit emotionally better, I guess you would say. But we do have to take the Bible seriously. We do have to let it say what it says, and and so what we see is that uh, that hell, as the Bible reveals it, is a real place of of conscious eternal punishment. As Brian uh, Chapel puts it, it's a place where there is the absence of God's presence to bless. Uh, we can see that in several places. I'm going to read one scripture and then refer to several others. But but in Matthew 25, right at the end, where Jesus has talked about final judgment and and the sheep and the goats, and he says, and and these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. We see in Matthew 25, 30, that it's also called outer darkness, where where people will weep and gnash their teeth. Uh, we see again in Matthew 25 that it's, it's referred to as eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We see in Mark 9 and Luke 16 that it's unquenchable fire and eternal existence and conscious punishment uh, and torment 
And we see in Revelation 14, 9 through 11, that it's without rest day and night. Okay, so so those things, those things for one thing, should really make me think about the seriousness of sin, that my sin, not just somebody else's out there, my sin is fully deserving of all of those things. That's that's all God owes me is all those things that I just described. Um, okay, so it may, should make me realize the seriousness of sin. It should also make me realize the beauty of God's grace, like the, the overwhelming nature of it, that a dirty sinner like me could actually have an escape from that. Uh, I shouldn't have that opportunity, but he's made it available. Um, it, it should also, though, it should make us realize the holiness of God, um, that rebellion against a holy, eternal God really does deserve His holy, eternal punishment. Okay, so now to this issue of annihilationism. Um, even though it's promoted sometimes by some even evangelical scholars, and and I'm not picking on any denomination, but it's it it is true that there's denominations that promote it as well. The biblical arguments are clear that that both eternal life and eternal judgment are eternal. Um, we we see that biblically very clear. Okay, so then the logical argument, and I think Wayne Grudem does a really good job of pointing this out, and he just points out that the logical argument doesn't hold up either, and that would be does the imagined time of punishment pay for sin and satisfy God's justice? Well, if the answer is no, then the unbeliever should not be annihilated. Like if 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 there's no amount of time that could pay the price, well then there's then the unbeliever should not be annihilated. But if the answer is yes, that a certain amount of time could pay the price, well, then the unbeliever should be allowed then to go to heaven. And that's a completely unbiblical concept of a second chance after death. Also, it's an unbiblical concept of some sort of um, earning righteousness. Because when it says the righteous will go into eternal life, it's not a a self-righteousness. It's not an earned righteousness. It's It's a received righteousness. It's a gift righteousness. And so so the logical argument couldn't hold up either. It's it really is it's the emotional, sentimental argument. And I'm not saying that in any weak way. Like I'm saying that's what appeals to me. The emotional sentimental argument is what pulls us to desire a doctrine that is not true, like annihilationism. Mm-hmm. And then there's others as well. Um, but, and so even though we do have these sentimental and emotional pulls in certain direction, we do have to come back with humility to the scripture and say, okay, what do you say, God? Because ultimately that is what is true and that is what matters. And so, um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's good. I think that same emotional pull that makes people want to believe in annihilationism is that same emotional pull that also makes people want to believe that everybody is going to go to heaven. Yeah. Uh, it's that desire that we don't want to think about anybody mm-hmm. having to suffer eternally or be in eternal judgment. 
And so uh, sometimes, like I said, it, it, our emotions can twist our understanding of Scripture, and we have to just always be careful that, like we've said before, that we're interpreting our mo- emotions through the Bible rather than interpret the Bible through our emotions. Yeah, absolutely. And it should and it should propel us to want to keep talking about Jesus whenever, wherever, with whoever we can. And and so because Jesus is the only opportunity we have for righteousness. That's right. Otherwise we're all unrighteous and we'll we, we will get what we deserve. And so, okay. Well, hey guys, thank you all for making time to to talk these things through. You guys that listen, we you know it. We always want to say thank you to you guys. We appreciate that you listen, and we we more than anything, we just want it to be helpful and to give God glory. And Jeremy Johnson is the one who always produces this. He's our pastor. Oh boy, Jeremy. That's right. Glad you're back, man. We are. Pastor of Community Outreach and Media here, so thanks to him. And uh, we just want you to remember um, that the God of the Bible is never surprised or offended by our honest questions.